Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, welcome to the Standard Theatre Podcast. I'm Nancy Durrant, Culture Editor. I'm Nick Curtis, Chief Theatre Critic. And I'm Nick Clark, Deputy Culture Editor. Coming up on today's show... We'll be reviewing Paul Unwin's The Enfield Haunting, starring Catherine Tate and David Threlfall. This is based on the true story of one of the most famous alleged-slash-suspected poltergeist events in the world. Directed by Angus Jackson, this is on now at the Ambassadors Theatre. And for our second review, it's Kagami, created by Ryuchi Sakamoto and Tin Drum. This is a mixed reality concert allowing audiences to re-interact with an avatar of the Japanese composer 10 months after his death in 2023, and it's on at the Roundhouse. And The Standard's Going Out editor, David Ellis, joins us to talk about the best places to have a drink in the West End after a show. This Bradley Spanish bar, which is not a bar, not Spanish, <laughs> but it is fantastic, and you can end up dancing to that jukebox all night. So if you've just seen a musical and you're in the mood, keep it going there. Always drink responsibly. Welcome back to our theatre podcast. Before we start, if you've not yet done so, then please do hit follow, and that way you'll be alerted every week when a new episode lands. And tell us what you think of the show and what you'd like to hear us talk about. Get in touch via our email, which is theatrepod at standard.co.uk. Just before we start, we wanted to pay tribute to the former Theatre Royal Stratford East artistic director, Philip Headley, who sadly died earlier this month. We asked Matthew Zia, the artistic director of Actors Touring Company and a brilliant theatre maker, to talk about Headley, who had mentored and um, supported him. Matthew sent us this very moving tribute, which we share with you now. Philip's passing is so incredibly sad. I had been aware of his illness for a little while, and so I knew that his passing was imminent. So I felt a little bit prepared for it, but it's still such a devastating blow. Actually, my ambition to become an AD started because I wanted to do for others what Philip had done for so many, provide a home, a safe space, a platform for disenfranchised, disempowered communities and individuals. And of course they were disempowered often because of their ethnicity, their class, their sexuality, um, their identity. Philip was an agitator, cheeky, charming, erudite and forceful, deeply committed to the power of theatre to really change lives. He lobbied government, local and central. He consistently challenged Arts Council England at a time when artistic leaders were supposed to agitate. They were expected to agitate and he profoundly understood the relationship between politics and arts. I remember when I was 16 and I mentioned to Philip that I made 
beats, you know, I produced rap beats and I wrote rap lyrics. And his response was, uh, oh, so you're a lyricist and a composer, which was just completely empowering. That was Philip to trust the artist, to believe in the artist at every single turn. Philip will be so deeply missed by so many. When we speak of standing on the shores of giants, it's people such as Philip Headley that we are referring to. That's a lovely tribute. I remember Philip well through his time running Stratford East and the number of people who he'd, who'd encouraged along the way. It's amazing to think we're losing the last connections to Joan Littlewood's Theatre Royal, you know, with, with uh, him dying this week and um, Murray Melvin, who was a, a major mainstay of that company, dying last year at the magnificent age of 90. But anyway, before we um, go on to the rest of this week's theatre news, I did want to just mention Mr Bates versus the post office, mm. which may seem a bit of a stretch, but a lot of people are, are sort of pointing out that this has been going on for 25 years. It's taken a TV programme to draw attention to it and kick the government into action, which is an argument. Lots of people have been saying this is an argument for the importance of the arts, the way it well, can distill and focus things. I also wanted to make a point that it's all these people, almost everybody involved in it, has some connection with or trained in or got their start in the theatre. Yep. And at a time when theatres in and outside London are under threat, wanted to point out that you can't pick and choose in this ecology. You can't say, we don't need theatres because we've got Netflix now. Mm. Where do you think these people come from? Well, quite. Mm. My column on Friday, which is in the paper, but you can read online, was very much about this, actually. It's about the kind of, the fact is, these stories, the power of stories is so, so strong. You know, you read a novel, you see a play, you see a TV drama, and it's basically a direct line, straight to your imagination, straight to your heart, and it shows you... Um, a, a truth, if you like, in a way that a documentary can only tell you. And I think, you know, the fact that the way that arts funding, and I know that I bang on about this the whole time, but has just been sort of systematically and chronically kind of scraped away over the yeah. last decade or more, it means that this sort of stuff isn't just, it's just not going to happen anymore. And the yeah. kind of people who can do it are only going to be privileged people who've got the financial wherewithal and exactly. the higher, Absolutely. higher. Yeah cost education mm -hmm. that will allow you to, to pursue a creative um, job. It seems so sodding obvious. Mm. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's so frustrating. Yes. Well, and as you say, it took storytellers to bring this terrible story, yeah. but to the nation and for the nation to respond. Yeah, and to but feel strongly that, enough. Storytellers also sort of spark the soul of a nation. They tell the stories of a country. And yeah. if we don't support them, if we don't put, you know, our full force of um, you know funding and 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 support behind the next generation of storytellers. What does that say about us, and where yeah. do we go from here? You know, there's a yeah. reason why you know in kind of Stalin's Russia or whatever, you know, writers, artists, you, all of those people were were oppressed mm. in a really serious way because they understood the power of it. And yeah. we're just like, oh, we've got the best, we've got the greatest creative industries in the world and they make us loads of money, mm. but we're not going to help them. Mm. We're going yeah. to screw them because that gets us votes in God knows what belt of people it mm. is. But it's just, it's such, oh my God, it makes me feel cross. <laughs> yes. And it's yes. only when it's too late will we realise, I think. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's true. Exactly. Absolutely true. Yeah. Some fun theatre. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, this week we saw the, the King's Head finally reopening, finally yeah. moving into its new venue yes. after 10 years. I think I'll draw a veil over the opening play, apart from to, to say that they great. really surely could have found one, a better one to reopen <laughs> it with. But um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens here. This mm. was, you know, the King's Head 
was long locked in an argument as to whether it was London's first pub theatre with mm. the Rosemary Branch and Pentameters at Hampstead, I believe. Mm. Oh, right. Okay. Um, certainly, yeah. I think it was, it was the, the, the most successful of those three and the most consistent, although, you know, it had its ups and it produced lots of major hits, a lot of epic failures as well. But the thing that it did have was this amazing sort of character an atmosphere and this is the thing that I wonder if they're going to be able to do at the new mm. place which is a sort mm. of fairly bland bare concrete bunker four floors below a shopping mall carved out of an old Royal Mail sorting office yeah it's going to be a big challenge for um, emerging designers perhaps. it is mm. yeah yeah it's it also the, the theatre itself the new theatre itself seems to follow the it's the way a lot of theatres are creating themselves now so like both Southwark playhouses where it's just sort of blank oblong quite shallow space with very little backstage or wings um, and a very sort of single steep rake of seats so it's not very versatile or doesn't seem to be at the moment mm. we'll see maybe they can do more things with the space in future but anyway I'm, I'm just saying it's going to be interesting you, yeah. you look at previous uh, found theatres you know the, the back room at the, of, that the King's Head the, back, the pub back room that the original King's Head was in the Almeida which was a scientific institute the Donmar which was a banana warehouse yeah you the know, Bush which are, was just above that pub absolutely I mean, isn't that minute yes. and even the new Bush which is you know one of the yeah. Passmore Edwards libraries it was, and so yeah. it's a building sort of redolent of stories and you yeah, know yeah, and yeah. education and you know and thought um it makes you wonder how you, you know, how you create that mystique. It's something the bridge tried very hard. Well, to I was do, about to say with a shitload of money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other thing that we were a bit like, oh, okay, fab about this week was there's a, a new musical in development of Prince's legendary film and album <laughs> Purple Rain. That's kind mm. of incredible. I don't really know what I think about it. To be honest, I wonder well, what Prince would have thought about it. Well. It's not a jukebox musical in the sense of like, you know, there's other ones that tell the story of, of artists' lives. I mean, it, it mm. is taking that fictional story of the film. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think for me, just going back to our previous conversation, it seems that people who put these musicals on are realising how important storytellers are because the person developing this yeah, is Brandon Jacobs name. Jenkins, oh, who yes. is name. a very um, respected and acclaimed American playwright. And some audiences will have seen his work here, The Octoroon and Appropriate, which both um, have, yeah, have been over I here. Yeah, I missed Octoroon. I'm gutted Same about here, that because yes. everyone kept going on about how bloody brilliant it was. Yeah. And it was such an interesting subject but um, appropriate I saw and loved. Just, Monica Dolan was in that wasn't she, she? Was, yes. who is by the way in Mr. Bates and it made me think because actually MJ the musical whatever you think about that but it's coming over that's been written by Lynn Nottage again mm. hugely yeah. acclaimed mm -mm. and I thought of uh, Tina which was written by um, Katori Hall oh, you're mm. absolutely right so yeah. there are uh, you know more and more people are turning to heavyweight writers and it's to a do good these thing things. I mean well, it's big Purple money Rain as well though, does have it? a plot yeah. which uh, yeah, yes. you know Tina had the life story and MJ the musical I don't think tells the story of his life I does actually it? have or, no idea I actually have no idea <laughs> anyway I mean I remember going to see Purple Rain in the cinema and um, it's not the most subtle of stories, I have to say. I think there's a certain amount of autobiography in there. I think, you know, even the great late prince would probably yeah. zap down from the netherworld to tell us that, you know, yes, that's, that, you know, there was a fair amount of his own life story in there. But it'd be fascinating to see what Jacob Jenkins does with it. Yeah, and definitely. We, we currently have no details on when that's going to yeah. emerge and, and which theatres. But we should say, because it came out after we had uh, recorded our last episode, that a musical from over here, Sunset Boulevard, is going to Broadway. Indeed, very deserved, yes. I think. And very deserved. Yes, we had speculated the, on the it. The third and least well-kept secret yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of last year after Rufus Norris leaving the National and um, Indy Riversingham taking over. But, yeah. uh, but very well-deserved. I mean, and they're, they're just, it's going to blow their socks off. Oh, so great. Right, time for our first review of the week. I'm recusing myself from this one because I know someone involved, but um, I guess you two are not going to hang back from the Enfield haunting at the Ambassador's Theatre. 
Yeah, no. <laughs> well, what to say about the Enfield haunting? I mean, I don't know who it was. Who was it written for, do you think? Because it wasn't written for actors because no one gets any kind of moment, really, it's, it stars, I should say, it stars Catherine Tate and David Threlfall, it does. It? And it's yes. about, as you mentioned earlier, the supernatural... Did it happen? Didn't it happen? Yes. Events of the 70s. It's based on a supposedly real case of a uh, poltergeist event... Uh, over the course of 18 months from mm. sort of 1977 to 1978. Um, single mum, Peggy Hodgson, who's sort of beset by her furniture being flung about, things, objects yeah. whizzing around in the air. It seems like her, the least of her worries, frankly. Yeah, well, and her daughter's sort of being <laughs> levitated, uh, which all, all seems um, uh, perturbing. And, uh, yeah, so and the question is, were these ghosties? Did the, the house have a... Uh, some sort of spectral power, or was it the expression of trauma from the living inhabitants in the house, well, or was it just a hoax? And apparently the people behind this don't care, <laughs> <laughs> aren't interested. There wasn't a great investigation into just, what was going on bonkers. here. Like, the interesting thing about this case, and I think, you know, that is the kind of connection between poltergeist activity and that kind of extreme febrile energy um, of like, teenagers, particularly very young teenagers. I've always been kind of fascinated by that idea that, that it occurs, if it occurs at all, in the kind of intersection between the extreme imagination and kind of perhaps neediness of a child and the wild hormonal surges and indeed perhaps neediness of a person like on the cusp of adulthood. You can imagine in the moments of like proper... Um, uh, tantrum or whatever that you know you sort of think probably does feel a bit like the furniture's flying around <laughs> the room. But um, well, and especially in this case where it, it is hinted, well, it's it's stated that there's an abusive or an alcoholic father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that's uh, Kevin Tate's playing a single mother. Clearly, yeah, the she's got three kids. She's through. got a lot. Yeah, they're going through their thing. She's yeah. got a lot on her plate. Yeah. You know, she's having to work. She's having to hold everything together, and she's got no visible means of support except for people who are deeply annoying and seem to think they know better than her. We'll talk about that in a bit. But the writer, I think it's Paul Unwin, or whoever has kind of created what this now is, because it also seems to have gone through quite a few changes. Yes. Um, they've completely failed to notice that that is the interesting thing about this. Like the teenagers are given nothing to do except sort of jerk about or swear a bit. And, be and, really annoying. Yeah, and the, the, the character, they're so thinly drawn as yeah. to effectively be ghosts. And despite the fact that they are also the point. And the young lad, the, the little lad, that character is a nothing. And, and it's mm. all about the adults and the adults are boring as hell. I don't understand why you would make this show about that story. We should say this is 75 minutes long, which is unusually yeah. short for a West End show. And it feels, just from looking at the programme, that quite late on they might have lost some subplots or lost yeah. a framing device or lo lost something. Yeah, there are two characters named, including one actor who definitely doesn't appear, yeah. that, that simply don't exist. Yeah. We, we were talking you know, this morning, was like, oh, maybe that's why it's 75 minutes yeah, 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 and yeah. not 90 or something. And so if you've got a 75-minute ghost story, you think, well, okay, should we sort of start off with just some of the ghostly goings-on, have that air of creepiness that builds and builds until it explodes and then, you know... Everyone goes home scared and happy at the end of it. Mm. But it doesn't do that. It sort of hints at these things. There's flickering lights. There's mm. a banging banging pipes every now and again. And then the characters start chatting. And it sucks all the life out of the action that's going on 
on the stage. So flat. There's something about the dialogue. I mean, characters basically bark exposition at each other, but even then it's not very engaging. And so you're not, so you find yourself drifting away, waiting for the next shock. But, but the problem is the shock's, aren't that shocking. No. You know, you see what they're trying to do because they've been done elsewhere mm. better. Mm. Um, and so at no stage really, do you, does your heart really leap into your mouth? At no stage are you thinking, God, that was a real, oof, that, that really had me on the edge of the seat. So what are you left with, really? You're left with a story that isn't that interesting that you think, I mean, I've got to say afterwards, I wasn't that minded to read anything more about it. The characters lack nuance, so you're not engaged with their stories. Yeah. The plot's fairly garbled because it feels like there's been things cut out and you're not explained certain things. The dialogue, I'm afraid, is fairly lame. And the horror just not shocking enough. I think Catherine Tate is actually, and I'm afraid this is not a particularly high bar, but she is the best thing in it. Mm. I think, like at the beginning, she starts out a bit muggy. Oh, like she's mugging yeah. away and kind of, oh, well, like, Ray, will you go home, please? You yeah, know, there's a lot of, of like, that. Really, it felt very, I think you said this in your review, it felt very um, TV comedy yeah. at that point. But she kind of got into her stride, I yes. thought, and I found her quite convincing as a kind of extremely put-upon woman and loving mother just mm. trying to hold everything together. Like After a bit, I felt some compassion for that character. Yes. I didn't care about any of the others. In a way, I didn't care about the poltergeist activity, which is kind of a problem because <laughs> yeah. it's the whole thing. I just felt furious about the way all these men kept imposing themselves on her and going into her house without asking. And uh, Mo Sesse, for example, he's he's reasonably good as this guy Ray, their next door neighbour who it's lives fine. next door. He has the right kind of like harmless but wildly irritating <laughs> yes. vibe of a man who thinks he knows <laughs> Mr. best. Mr. Mansplainer. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, he was so annoying. <laughs> um, which was exactly what he was supposed to be. Yes, and that yeah, was good. Yeah. And I think David Threlfall was kind of fine, but the script is so flat. And there's a moment which is evidently supposed to be rather moving, where he sort of reveals that. He's talking to the kind of prone Janet. Janet is one of the daughters, the one who's having the uh, the poltergeist uh, events kind of happen yes, she's through been possessed, her. Supposedly, yeah, yes. exactly. About his daughter's accident when she was younger, who's also um, called Janet, which is actually quite confusing. Also, I thought, yeah, I th that moment was so clunky. I couldn't even listen to it. I was cringing so hard. Mm. I just, I just, it just, it fails on every level for me as something that you should sit and sit and pay attention to it was really really bad and then it just ends yeah just stop <laughs> get out my ass it sort of does have a bit of a denouement I mean it's um, very weak though yes yeah well you think oh god this is building up to the real denouement oh no it's over oh I was gone oh it's yeah. um, right, but and Catherine Tate's character does have a sort of hero's journey of some sort yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and she does sell that quite well although often with all this banging and crashing around her she just looks like slightly miffed I know. You know, exactly. like, I mean, like, if this has been going on for 18 months in my house, I've lost my like, absolute uh, mind. I know, a gas fire is wrenched from the wall. <laughs> it's like, that's going to cost a fortune yeah. to fix. And who could <laughs> have done it? And she's just down like, oh, who's, who's done that? And you're like, well, it's I, very weird. It's, it's, it doesn't hang together. It's a shame. People in the West End love a ghost story. Yeah. We, we notice it. The woman in black. 222. Yeah. And actually, currently, as what I would advise people to do if they want a real scare, go to Stranger Things. Because there's real jump scares in that and real horror. And, that. Mm. and it's sold and, and an air of menace yeah. which just they haven't been able to sell here it's airless isn't it it, it really is so oh. I mean a lot of people left the theatre looking drawn and pale but I don't think it was the reason of being <laughs> scared out of their wits I'm afraid <laughs> 
That is on a mercifully limited West End season until the 2nd of March. Let's go to a quick ad break. In part two, in the spirit of absolutely rejecting dry January, we'll be talking to the Standards Going Out editor, David Ellis, for the best places to grab a drink before or after your theatre visit in the West End. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches and fine jewellery? Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Alison Oliver, and you're listening to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. Welcome back to the Standard Theatre Podcast. So we are now joined by the Standard's Going Out editor, David Ellis, who will tell us where the best places in the West End are to have a pre- and post-theatre drink. Welcome, David. Hello. So I thought we'd start in Soho, obviously one of the most famous pubs that many of our listeners will know is the French House, but it's always so busy. Are there alternative places that we might actually be able to get a drink before the show? I think the thing with French is you've just got to look around the corner and see if one of those side tables is taken. But luckily, if you are there, you're near the best pub in London, which is the Coach and Horses on the Cross of Greek and Romley. It's also packed, but it's (laughs) not quite so bad, and the staff there are just fantastic, so you should be able to get a drink, and they've got a great big outside area too. So, so long as you've got your woolly coat on, then you you should be all right. (laughs) Excellent. And I mean, that serves all sorts of theatres. Prince Edward Theatre, where Dear England has just finished. The Soho Theatre, which also has its own bar, of course. And then Shaftesbury Avenue, where there's the Gilgood, the Sondheim, the Lyric, the Apollo. I mean, any theatre level will be going there a lot. So this is clearly a great place to know about. The the other place that I would mention uh, is if you're going afterwards, there's Kettner's Townhouse. It used to be private. They've opened it up back up to the public, but most people just don't seem to know this. And you can always walk in. You can just always get a seat. Great for a glass of champagne, good glass of wine. They'll make you a decent cocktail as well. If you're going out the other way towards Soho Theatre, you probably want to go to the uh, Crown and Two Chairman, which is another very famous Soho pub, but it's massive. There's loads of room for that. And if you can be bothered to walk down Oxford Street, there's Bradley's Spanish Bar, which is not a bar, not Spanish. <laughs> But it is fantastic, and you can end up dancing that jukebox all night. So if you've just seen a musical and are in the mood, keep it going there. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Now, just moving on to Covent Garden, on the east side of Covent Garden, there's a real old theatre favourite, the Nell of Old Drury, and that's near the Lyceum, where the Lion King is, frozen at the Theatre Royal Drury Lane, the Duchess Theatre, with a play that goes wrong, the Velo Theatre, Mamma Mia, and Operation Mincemeat at the Fortune Theatre, and, of course, the Royal Opera House. So 
This is clearly a very important place to find a watering hole. Is is there anywhere else beyond the Nell? It's another coach in horses. Okay. I mean, there are about 55,000 of those in London, <laughs> but it's an, it's an Irish bar. Uh, it's really fantastic. They, they're famous for their Guinness, but actually, if you like whiskey, they've got one of the best selections in London. Oh. It's really strange, but they've got all these rare bottlings and stuff. So if you just want a nightcap before you head home, that's the place to go. And then the other side of Covent Garden, I love this pub. It's hidden away. It's the Lamb and Flag, just hidden mm. away on Rose Street. And I, you can normally get a drink because not a lot of people know about it. About it. Yeah. I mean, obviously, again, that that's just off St. Martin's Lane, which has has four historic theatres on it. It's an easy walk to the mouse trap and the ambassadors, mm-hmm. which is where the Enfield haunting is. Is there anywhere else around there or should you stick to the lamb? I think Lamb Flag's a, yeah. a fabulous place. There's also Le Garrick, which is a French restaurant named for the Garrick Club across the road. It is a restaurant, but they'll just happily give you a drink there. Uh, it's a favourite of ours. Yeah. Uh, and also, if you can just walk a little bit, you can get to the Le Beaujolais wine bar. Uh, which mm. is probably sort of five minutes from the mousetrap at most. It's a fantastic, really old-fashioned French wine bar they serve. Good food as well. So if you've walked out early and are hungry, you can get it there. <laughs> but also, you know, great selection of wines there. And they also have good Armagnacs, Cognacs, Calvados. Uh, so again, you, you can get your nightcap. And there's just bags and bags of atmosphere. They also have a private members club downstairs, which no one is allowed to join, and where Jay-Z and Beyonce go. And oh. it's the least likely thing in the world that the club would be yeah. there. But it's actually... So you've got a little story to tell if you do go in. <laughs> and I imagine Jay-Z and uh, Beyonce have not just been to see the mousetrap. But if, if this lasts as long as the mousetrap does, you know, they're doing something I'll ask right. them next time I see them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, I'm Piccadilly Circus. So obviously a lot of theatres around there. The Prince of Wales Theatre, where the Book of Mormon has been a real long runner. Um, the Criterion, where the Merchant of Venice is coming to. And the Harold Pinter, which will see the new Jez Butterworth play. Now... I sometimes go in and, and, and my colleagues go into Le Bar Américain, but are there <laughs> other ones? Yeah, so I mean, that's a cracking bar, but you've also got London's most popular pub at the moment, which is the Devonshire, mm. uh, which opened just before Christmas and is rammed. But if you can get in there, it's a really, really cracking pub and they have a fabulous set menu as well. So if you need a pre-theatre meal, you can get two courses for 25, mm. three for uh, 29. And the chef there used to be Heston Blumenthal's uh, right-hand man. So wow. you really, really can eat well. The drinks are great. The service is fab. Uh, you just have to be prepared to, to squeeze in a little bit. The Strand. There's a lot of theatres on the Strand. There's the Savoy Theatre where, where Plaza Suite, the big new show, is opening up with Sarah Jessica Parker. The Vaudeville Theatre where Six is. Back to the Future is playing at the Adelphi Theatre. And of course the Lion King at the Lyceum Theatre. If you just head down Embankment, there's Gordon's Wine Bar. And actually, there's a pub where, if you can't get into the Savoy, there's the Coal Hole. But mm-hmm. I imagine you may have some differing opinions on these on these ones. Yeah, well, the uh, the Coal Hole is what it is, mm-hmm. but it's pretty good. And I do really like Gordon's. Um, mm-hmm. And it's so cosy at this time of mm-hmm. year. Uh, there's the porthouse on the Strand. People walk past it because it's been there forever, but actually it's really, really good. Mm. Uh, and there's an LGBTQ plus bar called the Retro Bar that's really great. They have a great jukebox. Um, it's pretty simple in there, but it's, mm. it's a good night. If you want a bit more music, a bit lively, there's the um, Players Club, which is really fun as mm. well. And if you can splash out and you can go to the Savoy, American Bar is a hit for a reason, and they've, you know, they've got the piano there. Yeah. They serve fabulous drinks, but actually my tip is to go to the Beaufort Bar, which is just around the corner. It's dark. It's a little bit sexier. I think especially if you're on a date, that's the one to go for. If you're coming out of Embankment, though, Corinthia has the Velvet Bar. And I don't, I'm not huge on hotel bars. Sometimes I find them a bit soulless. But really, that, that bar's terrific. And there's a real sense of theatre in there, too, because everything you drink out of is sort of mad, looks a bit odd, designed after a car. This one's got a man's <laughs> face on it. So you can really keep that going. That's brilliant. And that, obviously, for um, people who've just been to Cabaret at the Kit Kat Club, which is just around the corner from there as well, can enjoy that. 
darting over the bridge uh, to Waterloo and the National Theatre and, of course, the Old Vic and the Young Vic. The Young Vic has a very nice bar itself. The Old Vic has a, a, a decent bar, but it's quite small. Um, now, the only pub that I ever know to go to around there is the Pineapple. I wouldn't recommend it as the greatest pub, but you can always get a pint, and that's pretty good on my list. And, of course, Skylon as a wine bar um, in, in the Festival Hall complex. You can always get a, a, a nice glass of fizz. So are there anywhere else, <laughs> any other places to go to? I mean, Lasden's opened up there, but honestly, Waterloo is the Nadir of London, so you just have to fend for yourself. <laughs> I would say that, uh, yeah, Skylon's got a great selection, and... The pubs are the pubs there. Yeah. But if it was up to me, I probably would cross the bridge back and find something uh, sort of either in the Covent Garden area or just creeping up into Chinatown in Soho because it's not long. And actually, after you've been sat down for two and a half hours, sometimes I find a bit of a walk does me some good. Before we wrap up, it sort of occurs to me having this chat quite how interlinked our two worlds are. I mean, people may not have initially thought that before when we started this chat, but actually going to the theatre isn't just about buying a ticket and seeing a show. It is the whole experience, and that often involves eating, drinking, various things as well. Absolutely, and if the last few years have taught us anything, it's that together they're a real ecosystem. You know, when the theatres are closed, the pubs and the bars and the restaurants don't do as well. And actually, when you're in those pubs and bars, even if you haven't seen a show, you might well see someone in who's been on stage and just in the interval. It's not unusual, especially at the coach. Yeah, yeah. You might see some of the players come in. I've got a friend who's a trumpeter. And sometimes I'll just be like, hello, mate, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, well, we're on again tonight. And so actually you get that real sense of London's nightlife mm. and all of those things being combined when, when you head out uh, and see it if you're in, in the West End. Absolutely. There's a, there's a really rich history, both of, of drinking and theatre and the two combined as well. I mean, there's the pub in with the Nell, of course. The the old story, whether it's apocryphal or not, whether the, whether King used to use a secret tunnel from under Theatre or Drury Lane to get all the way to the pub to see his mistress. Is it true? Is it not? Who cares? It's a great story. I really hope it's true. Yeah. I really hope it's true. <laughs> the too. other one that I think is quite funny is Keith Waterhouse used to drink either at the French or at the Coach. And when they put the original 93, I believe, production of Jeffrey Bernard's Unwell with O'Toole in the role, uh, they used to have to chuck Keith out. They used to time it and then they used to ring the bell. And it wasn't the end of service. It was the end of the interval. Keith, get back in. It was in the early runs. Now, goodness knows if that's actually true, but I always like to think yeah. it is. Well, and of course, it was recently staged in the Coach and Horses. Yes, and they're actually bringing it back uh, from Feb. So they're having another run there, uh, which is great. And it's a nice chance for people to see the pub, see the stories and really understand it because it's the same floor, the same wood, <laughs> the same smells. Uh, it's Yeah, and it's a really, really good experience. A final vestige of old Soho. Yeah. <laughs> David Ellis, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Let's go to the ads. In part three, we'll be reviewing Kagami at the Roundhouse. We'll see you back here in just a minute. Hi, I'm Matthew Modine, and you're listening to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. Welcome back to the Standard Theatre Podcast. Next up, it's time for a slightly different show review from us, Kagami at the Roundhouse. Nancy and Nick, tell me about it. Well, I think it's fair to say, I mean, this isn't really theatre. I mean, there isn't even really technically a performance because um, Ryuichi Sakamoto is a virtual presence in this, having died last March. But um, it's a well, it's a thin week for opening, so here we are. Yeah. You sit in a very large uh, circular room, well, obviously, because it's the roundhouse, circular room, and you have a, a virtual reality kit on your face and hanging from your neck. And 
the music plays. It's Ryoichi Sakamoto. So this is eyes. Sorry to interrupt. Eyes yeah. and ears. Is yeah. it? Uh, do you have headphones? Yes, I don't think you do. Have, uh, oh, maybe we don't. No, I don't think you do. Yeah, it's just the sound in, in right, the roundhouse yes. is is, yes. is there, which is mm. very very good. Yeah. So you've got this thing on your face, and you can see Sakamoto at his piano playing in front of you, and with a sort of variety of yeah. effects. A slightly around. sort of Pixarified version of Sakamoto, yes. isn't it? He's very, he's very sort of it's a, a very sort of sleek Avatar version of him. Yeah, as you say, surrounded by what I thought was sort of slightly Hallmark Cardi sound effects yeah, of sort of yeah. you know lights twinkling. Yeah. And, uh, yes, vision no. effects. Sorry, and how well falling. is he rendered in terms of the tech? When you're looking at him, what it, does it look like? A person is sat at the piano. Well, you, well, I mean, yeah, sure, but it's like, but it is sort of like a very I mean, I, I, not being much of a gamer, I couldn't really compare. But this, but from what I have heard, The Last of Us, this is not. I mean, the thing to say about this show, I think, is that it's it's his sort of the last shout of a, of a great pioneering career. Mm. Uh, that he started out in the seventies with the Yellow Magic Orchestra, who were widely seen as the sort of precursors of hip hop and you know electro dance music, all those sort of things. Okay. And it's obviously something that he did. I think when he knew he was dying. Um, mm. He'd had yes, because we should say before. he was intimately involved. It's not like someone's taken his avatar yeah. and just plonked it on the uh, exactly. No, no, no. Exactly. And, and that's and that's that's the sort of I think the reassuring and interesting thing about it because we're obviously on the brink of of a of a sort of deluge mm. of of AI and yeah. CGI stuff. Post Abba Voyage. Post Abba Voyage. And the the mm. nice thing about this and about Abba Voyage is you know it was done with the consent and yes. the authorization yeah. of. The people yeah. involved and the involvement of yeah. the people involved. Yeah. Unlike Abba Voyage, you can walk around yeah. the piano and you can really interact with it. Yeah. I mean, up to a point, obviously it's not there, but yeah. you can sort of be very much by him looking at his yeah. fingers on the piano and you can and stuff be a like bit that. disruptive if you want. You're sort of discouraged yeah. from it, but it's sort of gently discouraged. But they sort of say, try not to wander through the playing area. So don't march through his Yamaha piano. Yeah, but, but you, also actually... You people, can do it if you yeah, want. Yeah, and people wouldn't really notice if you did because actually when you're looking through the the goggles, uh, let's call them, like you actually, if you're going to move around, you do have to keep lifting your head up in order to make sure that you're seeing the people in front of you because they're very much like ghosts. They just sort of disappear in this kind of black glass you and you can, can't, you could quite easily just kind of careen into someone. It's if you kind of weird. Care. The lenses sit slightly proud of your face. So you do have a little bit of peripheral vision. So you can sense people, but it's kind of weird. It's like they're the ghosts and he's the real yeah, it's funny, person it? in the room, which is strange. I, so it's interesting on lots of levels from that. Point yeah. Of view, I, think. I mean, all of my niggles with this are technical, essentially. And they do yeah. say at the beginning in a slightly po-faced way, it is not perfect in their kind of like gentle <laughs> announcement. You're like, OK, well, that gets you off the hook for a lot of stuff, doesn't it? But yeah. The kit is annoying. It's cumbersome. Yeah. Obviously. But the thing I dislike about it most is actually how narrow your virtual field of vision is. Uh, your peripheral vision, I felt, was completely cut off. So if you actually wanted to see, you know, what's to your left and right, you really have to move your head and you lose then what's on the other side. And it's it's I, apparently this is an issue in VR gaming as well. This is yeah. something that mm -hmm. really bothers people. It's not something I've done, but if you're not used to it, to that, then it's very disconcerting. I found it slightly claustrophobic and quite frustrating. Yes. Um, there were some visible glitches. Mm -hmm. but, I did I mean, find the visuals. Well, tell me what you thought about the visuals, actually. Well, I mean, I, I found the, uh, at its best, the, the show's quite hypnotic. The music is really yeah. lovely. It's Beautiful, from across yeah. so is it, his it's, it's concert. Basically, you're watching a live concert. It's basically yeah. him not live playing his, um, own music. His, own, his own instrumental piano compositions. So uh, the, the two that people will probably know best are his theme for Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, which he also made his acting debut. I mean, I mean, talk about a polymath, how extraordinary he was. And also The Last Emperor, 
which I think he won his Academy Award for. The visual effects, um, again, they're a little bit old-fashioned somehow. If they're not mm. Hallmark Green Team cars, they're a bit like the original version of Tron. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a oh, I room. love Tron. <laughs> <laughs> well, it aren't actually any motorbike races no, in this okay. one. There's just a sort of slowly rotating 3D grid right. that grows out of uh, it grows yeah. out of the air above you or a, a tree that grows out of the piano and then projects a sort of root system out of the bottom of it, which then yeah. turns into the sort of earth, lights. You know, the earth kind of turning below you was quite nice, I thought. Yeah, but, that was, yeah. But, but I, I would have just liked to see a bit more imagination in that. Like maybe... If they commissioned some, I don't know, beautiful Japanese animation yeah. to move around you, because actually, you know, animated leaves slash snowflakes, etc., would have been much more beautiful and magical. I think that feeling like they were around you, you'd feel like you were in, I don't know, you know, like my friend Roger Rabbit, that one yeah. where you have the tunes and the real people. Yeah, like it just it would have been a bit like that. And instead, you've just got these sort of really pixel, like the snowflakes kind of glitching and, and you know, being really pixelated in front of you. And it's very, I don't know, it just yeah. doesn't feel It's interesting that in Abba Voyage, they, they, they vary the visuals a lot. Yeah. And there is animation in that, which is obviously sort of slightly folklorically yeah. um, inspired, isn't it? And uh, and the, the, the avatars sort of change costume and shape, whereas here, it's just him at um, at the piano. We should probably say that they, they call it mixed reality, in this, mm. don't they? So they don't call it VR mm. or... CGI. I quite enjoy. How long the, does it last? It's, it's less than an hour. It's fifty yeah, minutes. I think. Yeah, it's not long. It's not long at all. So um, you can still wear the kit and not and not drive you totally insane. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a bit unpleasant. It's not. It's not particularly fun wearing the kit, yeah. and I don't think you'd want to wear it for much longer yeah. than that. And it's not a smooth experience. That's the whole thing. I think you know that we're not really going to hit the brave new world of CGI until it is frictionless. And at the moment, mm. there is lots of... Yeah, literally a pair of glasses. And like, it's like, you know, having a sort of plane a safety briefing on a plane beforehand of, you know, where the exits are and mm. what to do if something goes wrong, raise your hand, you know, go to the side, da da da, da. Yeah, put this the, on, look at the red we cube. We have a whistle for attracting cube. attention. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. It was a bit like that. It is a bit the like that. The organisation is quite odd, isn't it? I saw that just after you and I went in, Nancy, that uh, both Michael Payne and Anthony Gormley were chatting, waiting to go in. Obviously, once you get to be really famous and around about 80, you know all the other people who are really yeah. famous yeah. Yeah, it's around true, about actually. 80. But, uh, so it's, it, but it's obviously catching the, yeah. you know, the, the imagination of people. And, mm. and it, is a, it is an interesting thing, isn't yeah. it? But it's and the just, music is gorgeous. Yeah. You know, his compositions have got this kind of mournful, cold weather, still forest sort of vibe. Yeah. But, uh, but I just kept wondering, I realised a couple of times I found myself I found myself closing my eyes. I just closed my eyes to listen to the music because the sound was so good. And it's like, actually, all I want is a quiet room and a pair of really good speakers to so listen this is, to Sakamoto's music. This is the opposite of the experience we had in um, in uh, Macbeth last week where I was taking my headphones off in order yeah, exactly. not listen to the augmented uh, speech and, uh, and just hear the, the sort yeah. of live stuff in the room. And that's the Standard Theatre Podcast. Please do hit follow, leave a comment, tell your friends and feel free to drop us a line at theatrepod at standard.co.uk. And don't forget to give our previous shows a listen. They include interviews with Tuppence Middleton, Sir Ian McKellen, Millie Alcock and many more. Thanks to our producer Rachel Abbott and we'll see you back here next Sunday. 